Old powers waken, shadows stir, an age of wonder and terror will soon be upon us, an age for gods and heroes. The glass candles are burning, and you're listening to the Obsidian Knights Podcast. Hello, my sweet summer children. I'm back with another episode of the Obsidian Nights podcast where we go through A Song of Ice and Fire chapter by chapter, starting with the first book, A Game of Thrones. So today we are going to be doing Catelyn 7, and I have a special guest with me, Kylie. Kylie, would you like to tell everyone who you are and where they can find you? Um, I'm just a big fan of the books. Um, I don't really do too much on social media. I do have a TikTok. <laughs> I love any, TikTok. <laughs> I have a problem. It's, um, it's any X L U X next Lux. I have like a small amount of followers, but I'm in the creator fund. So if anybody wants to go well, give me a couple of views, that'd be great. <laughs> oh, awesome. Okay. Uh, I had definitely had a problem with TikTok, unhealthy oh, so, obsession. So bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny though. Like it's really funny on there. I love it. Addicting. <laughs> well, thank you for coming. So we're going to be doing Catelyn 7. And Catelyn 7 is all about Tyrion's trial and the inner monologue of Catelyn while she's in the veil and trying to figure out these politics of getting around this trial. She's mm-hmm. got herself into something that she really wishes that she didn't get herself into. Mm-hmm. So the chapter opens and it says the eastern sky was rose and gold as the sun broke over the veil of Aaron. Catelyn Stark watched the light spread, her hands resting on the delicate carved stone of the Ballstrad. Is that ball? <laughs> what the fuck is that? <laughs> Do you know that word? Dude, I actually have an English degree and I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, so we're on brand. It wouldn't be a gray area thing without a mispronounced mispronunciation so balustrade 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 i have no idea but it's something that's a stone and it's outside her window so she's basically watching the sunrise in the eerie yes um and she one thing that was interesting to me on reread was the um the waterfall mm-hmm. um and Catelyn wondering about um, Alyssa's tears, like, yes. uh, and I don't know, just the wording around it was really funny to me, like ghost, ghost waters and things like that. Like George just has a way of describing things like this scene actually sounds really beautiful. It does. I also think that like there is so much to unpack with this small little opening. And I don't know if you picked up on this, but like I was feeling like already Lady Stoneheart foreshadowing when it comes yes. to Catelyn. Like so much because it's this like literally like a, a stone woman, this stone mountain who never cried for the the her loved ones who she's lost in life, which sounds a lot like Catelyn. Like, I don't really recall her crying a whole lot or mourning or like, she just seems to want to take action. Yeah. 
That's um, that's a very on the nose parallel, and I do think that George um, was plotting Lady Stoneheart very early on, because I think it was two chapters, two Catelyn chapters ago, she was talking about her heart turning to stone, mm-hmm. and I was just like, mm-hmm. they're really yeah. He always has some like very like there's a lot of stony imagery in this whole chapter um but yeah that in particular i think was um foreshadowing of that and there, and, um what was i gonna say uh but her story really parallels with the statue Alyssa. it does and it comes up again there's the statue in the courtyard too later on in the chapter um so yeah there's a lot of that imagery but in relation to her. Alyssa Aaron had seen her husband, her brothers, and all her children slain, and yet in life she had never shed a tear. So in death, the gods had decreed that she would know no rest until her weeping watered the black earth of the veil where the men she had loved were buried. And that is so on the nose for yeah. like Lady Stoneheart foreshadowing. And and it says that like the it the water never touches the ground which is kind of another like implication i don't know what's i don't know what's going to happen with lady stoneheart but to me that's like almost an implication that this uh hunger for vengeance is never going to be sated like she will never feel closure even in her stoneheart form yeah she won't and she even says like i wonder how large of a waterfall my own tears would make when i die like yeah. And she goes out very, like, she's, she has one of the most savage deaths in the entire books. Um, she witnesses her son get killed, like, at her brother's wedding. And then she's, like, almost killed and thrown into a river and then brought back to life. So, yeah. And she's, I would say we should replace tears with blood because her tears are blood the water that she's put, putting all around the riverlands is blood <laughs> oh, yeah definitely she has a lot of blood on her hands for sure yes um so she gets news that um jamie is or or house lannister is gathering an army they're putting an army together. They know that she has Tyrion. So Edmure sends Tywin a letter. Like, what are you doing? Like, what's your intent with this army? And and Tywin doesn't respond. So I don't know. Like, she's got herself into a bit of a pickle here. And I think most of it, a lot of it is Lysa's fault. Oh, yeah. B- because Lysa has, you know, sent Catelyn that letter and then... When she gets to the Eyrie with Tyrion, she realizes that Lysa's fucking crazy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I kind of, like, I I love and hate Lysa because of how absolutely insane she is. Like, I, I have this, like, obsession with, like, Jodi Arias, too. It's it's weird because she's nuts. Like, women who just go completely off the deep end sometimes, it's like, Wow. Like, I can't, like, mm-hmm. that's, like, you're really committing to that. Yeah, she's nuts. I, and I also like to, um, I have this thing where I feel like George hints at, um, like, mental illnesses or, like, physical illnesses in a lot of his characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he never puts, like, a label on them, obviously, because it's, you know, 
Westeros times, but I do feel like Lysa is a classic case of somebody who might be suffering from like borderline personality disorder Mm -hmm. um, because she seems to be very much like um, up and down and manipulative, but also very insecure and narcissistic. Like everything about her screams that something is um, like she has something going on mentally because I don't think normal people function like Lysa. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) So I do. I think that she um, she has something affecting her mental health that has caused her to really um, go insane. And it's it's interesting because, and I feel like George touches on this a lot, um, people who have power might have a lot of inadequacies. um, Yes. And there's people around them that just, you know, tell them what they want to hear, give them what they want, and they are elevated even further in their kind of, in their mental deterioration, thinking that like, oh, well, I'm I'm fine. I must be right. And I feel like Lysa is in a position where she is just surrounded by people telling her that she's right, where she does whatever she wants and she doesn't have any repercussions for it. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why these books are so good is because George really writes them from making these characters very human. Mm-hmm. And if you notice, like, even today and throughout history, most of the people that were powerful had something wrong with them. Like, yeah. like <laughs> mentally something wrong with them. It reminds me of that quote from um, Ragnar from Vikings where he's like, you know, power attracts the worst and corrupts the best. Um, I feel like there's a lot of truth to that. And I'm not saying like, you know, mental illness is bad. I'm just saying that she's Lysa is humanized in a way where like we get like some of her backstory where we know that she was forced to have an abortion. Like she was forced to take that tansy tea by Hoster. So she has like, you know, some kind of past trauma. And when you have past trauma and you don't deal with it, sometimes mental issues can arise and sometimes mental issues can happen anyway. But Lysa to me definitely could have, borderline personality disorder or and also like PTSD. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean and sometimes you know mental illness is ugly and it it doesn't turn out well for people. So, you know, it's I think it's realistic. You know, it's not always a pretty beautiful thing or sadness or sometimes it's scary, you know. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Like Robert Baratheon, he definitely has like depression and PTSD. Like he oh, yeah. definitely has it. Like I think the only person that's like semi normal is Ned Stark, but then Ned Stark even has issues with like being haunted by his past and like his wars and battles and things that he's been through. So yeah, they all have issues and that's what makes them really good, relatable characters. Yeah. And I, well, and I also think the other thing with, um, the Tully's in particular, I know Catelyn gets a lot of crap because she's, She's complicated. She's mm-hmm. a complicated character. I'm not like a Catelyn stan, but I do feel like she she's uh, she deserves a little bit more credit because, you know, she and Lysa uh, are raised with the, you know, family duty honor. That's mm-hmm. that. And to me, family duty honor are 
you can have duty and honor, but can you have family and duty and honor? You know what I mean? And I feel like their words are kind of like a paradox. Conflicting, yeah. Yeah, because like the Night's Watch, right? You're not supposed to have a family because, you know, love is the death of duty. And, you know, that's a really good point. Yeah. And like Catelyn and Lysa have been either forced or have chosen to, uh, you know, choose either family or duty and honor, whereas Lysa had, you know, an an abortion for honor and duty. And that has completely messed her up. And Catelyn, on the other hand, is choosing, she always chooses family and it makes her make rash decisions Mm -hmm. and it gets her into a lot of trouble to the point where she has one of the worst fallouts of any character in the book. So she definitely reaps the, the, the choices that she makes choosing family over duty and honor. So they're interesting. Yeah. My, my issue with Catelyn is that she went with Rob instead of going home to Bray and Rickon. Rickon. (laughs) I agree. I think Rob's her favorite. For sure. What she, she said says is brand. I don't know. He's crippled now. I feel like she just is like, you know, Rob's, he, that's her boy now, you know? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. Or maybe she feels like, you know, Rob is in danger. So she needs to be with Rob. Yeah. But it's like, ma'am, you have infants. <laughs> and you have a small child <laughs> who's yes. running feral up north. <laughs> yes. So, um, Catelyn wants to like not have this trial, right? Like mm-hmm. she wants this trial. Like she's like this shit is stupid. Um like if we hurt him, we're going to pay for that shit. Like there's going to be a yeah. war. Yeah, she knows Tyrion is worth way more alive than he is dead. Um particularly because things are getting a little hot, but I mean, Lys is crazy and her Robin's crazy too. Yeah. And like Catelyn is kind of like, you know, well, let's talk to him privately. That's what Catelyn wanted was to talk to Tyrion privately. But Lysa wanted to make a show of everything. And now she's in this predicament where she has to follow through with her word or she's going to lose respect in the veil. And she's in a, at a, like she's in a predicament where she needs the people of the veil to support her son. And any wrong step that she makes, she could lose the support of the people in the veil. And that's like they don't really know her like that. She's been in King's Landing most of them their marriage. So they don't really know her like that or her son like that. And Catelyn is like, I just want to remind you that he's my prisoner. Like Tyrion is my prisoner. And Slice is like, well, he killed my husband, <laughs> the hand of the king. Like He's my husband's killer. And Kat is smart. Like she, when Kat starts thinking and, and not acting irrationally, when she actually thinks about things in her inner monologue, she's so smart because she's like, well, your letter said that Cersei killed him, killed the hand of the King. Now you're saying Tyrion did it. Is it, are you saying that because Tyrion's here and Cersei isn't like, is that, I feel like she knows that I think she knows the truth. And I feel like if she could just look a little bit past her biases and at at the actual, like unfortunate truth of what Lysa is, she could even take it a step further and be like, I think Lysa is just 
flat out lying. I feel like her personal biases have blinded her to believe like what's in the letter, but I feel like she knows that something is not true. Yeah. I think just the interactions that she's had with Lysa just this far, these or these last couple chapters is enough to let her know something is seriously off about her sister. Yeah. And, um, just, I think Catelyn is just regretting this whole fucking thing. And even when she says, like, I wish I burned that letter before I read it. Mm-hmm. She said that it kind of sealed it to me that she knows that this is either bad information or it's nothing is like what it seems. Yeah. But she had, but she has no choice but to kind of be committed to this now because she's too far in to turn back around. Um, but Catelyn does explain it to Lysa. Like, we don't have anything to gain, you know, from killing Tyrion. <laughs> like, if Tyrion loses, it's going to be hell to pay. Oh, it, but it just seems like Lysa is, like, she's pretty much committed to it. And she doesn't want to hear reason. But also a lot of it seems to be that, like, Robin is just like, I, I want, want him to fly. I want him to fly. And she's she will do it anything to make her child happy she's like one of those parents that's like the child has all the control it's awful (laughs) yeah and he's six and sickly so that's kind of it's kind of um kind of scary you know yeah we're just gonna have to go through with it i guess (laughs) (laughs) so um they wind up going through with the fight the fight still happens um and we have two two people servardus egan servardus egan is like a knight of the veil he shows up full armor head to toe and then all Bron has on is just like some ring mail and boiled leather (laughs) And, and it reminds me of the mountain versus Oberyn, where Oberyn really has nothing on, and the mountain is all armored up. Yes, uh, I I put that in my notes. Um, it does. It's it's very reminiscent of. There's a couple different fights in this book too, where there's always one, um, like hero or whatever that's a traditional kind of knight, and then there's the like anti-hero, mm-hmm. and the anti-hero always seems to, uh, unfortunately, in Oberyn's. Um, case doesn't win but he should have Um, Mm -hmm. but they they always seem to come out like with the upper hand or on top which you know is an implication in my you know opinion that it's tradition isn't always the correct way to do things and tradition just for tradition can be detrimental Um, so yeah but this this fight does remind me a lot of the mountain versus the viper yeah uh, like I don't know what it like when I first saw the mountain fight in Oberyn, I thought Oberyn was going to win. And if you watch this fight, of course you think Oberyn's going to win because Oberyn is dressed like Bronn. The mountain's all weighed down in armor. And then, whoop, Oberyn doesn't win. But yeah. in this case, Bronn does win. Yep. Bronn does win. But, huh. When the fight is going on, oh, Bronn doesn't even have a shield. No. He doesn't even have a shield. Like, he doesn't want a shield. Um, He's 
he's fighting like Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> if you watch oh, yeah. boxing, he's fighting. Yeah, like yeah, Floyd no. <laughs> like Floyd run, run around, yeah, yeah, just run Let around, blow their steam off. <laughs> Let's tire you out. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Catlin though. What is interesting to me is Catelyn is like thinking about the duel between Brandon and Peter. Yes. Uh, Peter Baelish, Littlefinger. And I think that she should be putting shit together. Why are you thinking about that, Catelyn? Well, Peter Baelish and Lysa are plotting against you and using you to start a war. And they're doing it together. And I don't know if that, like, that doesn't really trigger any memories with Catelyn. But she talks about, if so if you don't know the story, Brandon fought Peter Baelish. Peter Baelish challenged him to a duel for Catelyn's love. Um, and Catelyn had to, like, beg Peter Baelish not, or beg Brandon not to kill Peter Baelish. And he almost killed him and he gave him a scar. And that's one of the main reasons I feel like he hates the Starks. I feel like that's why he hates a Ned. Mm-hmm. Well, I also think um, it's interesting because if you, you know, read the way in which Catelyn's recalling the fight between um, Littlefinger and... Uh, Oh my God! What's his name? What's Stark? The other Stark? Brandon. Brandon. Sorry. <laughs> Between Littlefinger and Brandon, um, she has this very like superior kind of complex, um, where because she's like a a noble, and Littlefinger is kind of this just little guy who comes from nothing, who's weak and has nothing, and he gets destroyed during this fight. And, like, that's how she looks at him, is a weak um, person to be pitied. And while she might think of him fondly, she still thinks that he's just, he's not a threat. And I feel like that permeates with her until she sees him again in King's Landing. And she still looks at him the same way because she doesn't know who he is now. So I don't think that she could ever, yeah, I don't think that she could ever fathom in her head that he would be capable of killing people secretly plotting doing all the stuff that he does because she just she she's got her own biases so she does she does and it's funny because I, i was talking about this on another episode that she tries to talk ned like when she talks to Ned about Robert, she's like, you don't know him now. You knew who he was, but who is he now? And like, <laughs> bitch, use your logic. <laughs> <laughs> I know. She can be stubborn and very much have her blinders on for sure. But no, but that's normal though. Like it's normal for us to tell other people how things are and how things look. But when you have to do that for yourself, it's a lot harder. Yeah. Basically... Servardus is losing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bron, um, the statue falls over on, or he gets pinned under the fallen statue, and Bron delivers the blow to kill him, and he's dead. 
Yeah. I think that the ending of that fight is very interesting imagery as well, because it's like another stone lady statue Mm -hmm. um, who were obviously in the beginning of the chapter, we're supposed to be comparing Catelyn to Alyssa. And this Mm -hmm. is a statue of Alyssa. And it's literally crushing a man and making him incapacitated and killing him, which to me says that like Catelyn has now the blood of somebody, you know, the blood of somebody on her hands that she could not have predicted that her choices would have, you know, made you'll basically die. But I think it just shows you the reaches of the choices that people make and their consequences. So I feel like that is, um, I don't know, symbolic, I guess. It is. No, yeah. I, that's really good. I got the chills. <laughs> I got the chills. Yeah. <laughs> but Lysa fucking loses her mind and she's like, we'll kill him anyway. Like, <laughs> kill him anyway. Like, our word, our house words are as high as honor. And little Robert's like, we want to make him fly. We want to <laughs> make him fly. And I'm like, boy, would you shut the fuck up? Like, that was my son. Oh, I know. I, he would not even be there. He'd be like in his playroom playing with toys or something. I don't understand why he's even there. Which again is another inter- <laughs> another interesting thing. Like it's so crazy to me that this little kid is like so cool with people just getting like executed, like and being murdered pretty much, and watching people die. Like what is going on in the Vale? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, it's like. That's the crazy place. And you know that fuck the fucking veil drove Damon Targaryen crazy. Oh, actually, that reminds me. <laughs> I had another sorry. I've <laughs> There's a lot in this chapter that I was like rereading and I noticed. Um I think there is a big implication for something going on in the Eerie. Um because I don't know if you read the part uh closely where they're talking about the godswood where there was supposed to be a weirwood tree, mm-hmm. um, but they couldn't get one to grow. And they like brought up dirt from the veil and they're trying to make it grow. But because it's like this big rock, rocky place, they can't, they couldn't get it to root. Um, and I don't know if you have heard of the theory that I don't, Oh man, I forget who put it out there, but um, uh, I think Indy in deep geek has talked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the Pando theory, you know, there's like that forest in Utah where uh, the trees are all one tree. They're like all connected in a rooting system. Mm-hmm. And so there's this theory out there that the weirwoods are actually just all interconnected. And that's why they can't grow in places like uh, the Erie because it's too rocky or I don't think they're in Bravos because there's too much um, ocean in between mm-hmm. them. Um, so I think it's, and then you have this place, this rocky place where you can't grow a weirwood where they're literally throwing people to their death. And, you know, there's the whole brand chapter of trying to get him to fly. Um, so I, I, I'm wondering if there's some sort of like implication that there's some lack of magic or how maybe it's corrupt or there's some inability to reach it um, with the weirwoods for better or, or worse. I don't know, but if there's some sort of like magical implication behind that, that I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, I think that's interesting too. And the I know Preston Jacobs has talked about like how he thinks there's something going on with the Weirwood Throne in the yeah. Eerie. 
and like sweet robin being controlled by that throne in some kind of way like by blood raven i don't know the ins and outs of the theory i haven't really delved deep into it but i do think that it's interesting and i specifically think it's interesting because the people in the eerie are of andal descent and the andals are the ones that destroyed most of the weirwoods and destroyed most of the children of the forest so if they did have beef the beef would be with the andals yeah so yeah i'm not yeah i don't know if there like there's some like overarching i mean there has to be some sort of implication because i don't see why george would just be like hey they can't grow a weirwood tree here like for no reason so there has to be like some sort of meaning behind it but i I haven't been able to completely like figure that one out yet (laughs) (laughs) yes so basically the chapter ends with um Tyrion winning and and leaving and they basically say you know like Lysa basically is like you know escort them to the bloody gate give them supplies they go the rest of the way on their own and the people are like oh so she's sentencing them to death anyway because they don't think that they're gonna make it Mm. because getting there they had to like fight these people but Tyrion isn't really Tyrion's not worried about that shit because Tyrion's going to make friends with the wildlings. Um, but Tyrion basically mocks Lysa and dips. Yeah. <laughs> and takes Bronn with him. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Tyrion's great. So that is um, Catelyn 7. Did you have anything that you wanted to add? No. I, I rambled a lot there. <laughs> no, you didn't. No, you didn't. It was really good. It was really good. You are really good. I love the Lady Stoneheart, all the Lady Stoneheart things, because that statue falling on Servardus Egan, and it that fight would have never happened if Catelyn had never took Tyrion and brought Tyrion there to the Vale. Yeah. So that is blood on her hands that she didn't necessarily plan on having on her hands and it does kind of show the consequences of your choices yep so very spot on very spot tends to do (laughs) very very good but i would like to thank you for coming on and if you want to let the people know one more time they can find you on tiktok what's your ad on tiktok yeah it's um n-e-x-l-u-x next lux all right thanks kylie and i will see you guys next week bye